I think, you know, number one, it just right from the beginning showed me sort of the direct association between hard work and excellence and success. Um, and I think that's something that has always stayed with me. Um, I think the second very big impression that it left on me was that even if it's difficult and even if you know, the messages that you're receiving are that, you know, you shouldn't do this, or this is not meant for you, or, you know, girls shouldn't do this, that ultimately you are the only one that gets to decide who you want to be. Welcome to Arda Spotlight. Live long and prosper. I'm Caesar Sengupta, your host, and the co-founder and CEO of Arda Finance. In this podcast series, we don't just scratch the surface. We delve deep into the mindsets of some of the most successful founders, entrepreneurs, and investors out there. We dissect the pivotal choices that have set the trajectory of their extraordinary lives. We get into the nuts and bolts of how financial strategy and financial thinking can serve a purpose-driven life. So if you're looking for insights that are as intellectual as they're actionable, you're in the right place. The topics covered in this podcast are conversational and for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to serve as investment advice and is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any particular security or investment. All opinions expressed by Arda employees and third parties are not necessarily those of Arda Finance. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Samit Amalek, the head of insurance at Arda. Sam is an insurance and financial services executive with over 20 years of experience spanning Asia, Europe, and the United States. She's been Head of Business Development and Innovation at Egon Asia, the Chief Distribution Officer at MetLife, a consultant at Bain, and an insurtech entrepreneur. She's currently a board member of One Degree, one of Hong Kong's first virtual general insurers. But insurance is not all that Sam does. She's represented India in basketball, is a mom to three wonderful kids, and is a dear friend who I've admired and respected for how she's lived her life. In this conversation, we talk about what it's like to dream differently when you relocate to a new country and how to build a life on your own terms. I'm sure a ton of people will learn a lot from Sam about how she thinks of life, work, and money. Welcome, Sam, to Arta's Live Long and Prosper. My pleasure to be here. So, um, you know, you had such an incredible career for the last last so many years on in insurance, but uh before we get into all of that, I wanted to start off with right at the beginning. Like, uh, how did all this get started? What's what's the origin story of Sam? Um, my origin story is, um, you know, a girl who grew up in India, who I think just, you know, dreamt very different dreams and always wanted to uh, not do what she was told to do. Um <laughs> And, um, you know, that led me to pursuing, uh, you know, sports very seriously, uh, even as a, as, as a young child, um, you know, I did have, uh, a mother that was also an athlete, uh, which also served as an inspiration. She was like a professional shooter, like those Olympics people who shoot guns. Yeah. She was part of the Indian team. Um, and so, you know, that was always, uh, a pretty high bar bar to reach up to and a constant source of inspiration. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I, 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 my, my initial life was very much centered around uh, excellence in sports. Um, and for a long time, I thought I wanted to be an athlete. I had this crazy dream of wanting to come to the U.S. and play in the WNBA. Um, I played basketball. Um, and then, you know, I once I realized that that dream wasn't going to come to fruition, I pivoted. I wanted to be an academic. Um, and I was in a Ph.D. program at the University of Virginia. Um, I really enjoyed teaching. It's something that's still very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and then I, you know, I finally um, realized that what I really loved doing was building, building products and building businesses. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your your mom. I mean, you mentioned uh, she was a sharpshooter. Uh, it's a pretty non-traditional role, especially growing up in India at that point of time. How was that like, uh, you know, as a as an influence or a role model, like how did that affect you? Um, I mean, I think, you know, number one, it just right from the beginning showed me sort of the direct association between hard work and excellence and success. Um, and I think that's something that has always stayed with me. Um, I think the second very big impression that it left on me was that even if it's difficult and even if, you know, the messages that you're receiving are that, you know, you shouldn't do this or this is not meant for you or, you know, girls shouldn't do this, that ultimately you are the only one that gets to decide who you want to be and how you want to define your identity. And so my mom did that and I learned from her that I, you know, my destiny is in my hands uh, and I get to craft my life uh, and my identity the way that I see it. So can you think back to life on one of the first times where you took your destiny into your own hands and sort of what was that and what what did it feel like? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, there's been a few very pivotal, pivotal, uh, very pivotal moments in my life. Um and the first one would be when I decided to come to the U.S. after high school in India. Um, I was actually, I'd already started college in India. I was in St. Stephen's University in Delhi, which is a very prestigious um, university. One of the best colleges in, in India. And so, you know, there was already this path that I was on. I was in a great college um, that people were really, you know, vying to get into. Um, and it was a very risky decision at that time. I mean, I didn't have a scholarship uh, at any college in the U.S. Um, I didn't even necessarily have a specific college that I was going to uh, because I had my mind so set on wanting to play basketball. So, you know, I just had this like theory in my head that I would just show up and I would just try on for the team. And then, you know, the colleges would be clamoring to, to take me on board. And really with this like crazy thought and this crazy idea, I made this decision to leave my very sort of well-established, you know, great path that I was on in India and, and come to the U.S. And I ended up going to this very small college called Georgia College in Milledgeville, Georgia, um, just because I thought I would have the chance to play basketball there. Um, so, you know, and that's sort of like, and, you know, 
that started basically kind of the rest of my life uh, once I made it here. So that was a very, very pivotal moment. Nobody was really sort of pushing me to say that, oh, you sh- you know, you should go to the U.S. That was really kind of, you know, my decision and me telling my mom at that time that, yeah, um, let's do this. We'll we'll get there and we'll figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll find some team to play for. Um, and then let's talk. Talk a little bit about like what happened when you got to the teams, and you know you you mentioned that you didn't end up you didn't end up going to WNBA and instead switched to academia. How was that change? I mean, you know, life is sometimes goes the way we want it. Sometimes it changes, and um, how did you manage that? How do you roll with those changes there? Yeah, I mean, it was it was I would say it was very classic, um, you know, crazy dreams of a young person with uh, not not. A very solid grounding in reality. Crazy dreams are good. Yeah, but I showed up in the U.S. and and here I was, um, you know, just physically not able to play the sport the, at the level that it is played here. Um, you know, I was good for India, but in the U.S., you know, I really didn't stand very much of a chance at all. So. Yeah, it was it was brutal in the beginning because I was also at the same time going through homesickness and culture shock um, and then realizing that, you know, I had forged this identity as an athlete um, and, you know, I had made this decision to come here and, you know, sort of almost, you know, forced my mom to agree to it and very quickly realizing that things were not going to turn out the way that I had thought that they would. Um, So, yeah, that was a lot of just, you know, pulling myself up uh, off the floor and saying, you know, life still goes on. And what do I want the next chapter of my life to look like? Um, Fortunately, I'd also always been a very good student. Um, And so it was quite natural for me to then... um, you know, I picked up an interest in economics in, in college in my, some of my early courses. And so I was very drawn to it uh, to try and understand how nations operate, how companies come to be and, you know, the decisions both at the micro and macro level. And yeah, that then ended up being sort of my next chapter. Uh, and, you know, true to myself, I would say I wanted to go headlong and become a professor. I think... A lot of people will learn a lot from how you manage to keep yourself together while you're making that change in identity. I mean, for someone who had obviously worked incredibly hard to go through sports and then change to academics, I'm no doubt like you you were confident you'd do very well in academics. But how did you sort of make that change at that stage? Did you have support around you? Did you have like friends who helped you through or like what were the things that you told yourself in your mind? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you're really testing my memory here, Caesar, because this was, you know, a, a pretty long time ago. Um, but I think he, this maybe this is another thing that really helped me at this time. The other fact of my childhood is that I grew up uh, in a military household. Uh, my dad uh, was in the Indian Army. And so, you know, we moved around a lot. Like my childhood was spent sort of all over India. Um, and then the second fact of my childhood was that when I was very young, my my dad uh, was diagnosed with cancer. 
uh, and he actually lived with the cancer for a very long time. Um, and I think, you know, I picked up some early lessons from that just around adaptability. Uh, you know, nothing's constant and, you know, you're, you know, life is, if nothing, if not change. Um, and I think the second lesson that I learned was, you know, watching my, my dad struggled with, with cancer and, and fight it. Um, and, you know, he was a very successful, uh, you know, officer in the army and, you know, the cancer sort of redefined him. Um, and so he had to find and forge a new identity, uh, while he was struggling with that. And I think I picked up a lot of those lessons of just, you know, life just does not play out the way that you expect it to. Life does not owe us anything, let alone fairness or, you know, and so I think those lessons really helped me at this time where I was in a new country, uh, trying to figure out who I was and who I, I was going to be. And at the same time, realizing that, you know, I, I have to start dreaming differently now um, if, if, if I do eventually want to still be a, a successful human being. So, Sam, let's, let's move from that stage in life to, you know, in a way, the career that you end up ended up choosing, which was insurance. Um, why did you end up going into insurance? Uh, and, you know, like what motivated you? Yeah, it was complete ha happenstance. Um, so I was in my PhD program thinking I was going to be a professor, thinking I was going to be this academic. Um, and I realized yet again that hmm, maybe this is not what I'm cut out to do. Um uh, you know, the, this path of spending seven years trying to get a PhD, um, to me, I really enjoyed the teaching and, and the, you know, being with people and learning and, um, the sort of the, the loneliness of the PhD, writing a dissertation and doing research on your own. That's the part that I realized I was not really cut out for. And so. I basically started looking around in a little bit of a panic going, whoa, I, you know, what should I do? I just, I need to find a job. Um, and I, I got so lucky because I happened to, I just happened to take a job with this company. It happened to be an insurance company. I knew nothing about insurance at that time. I took the job because I thought that the person I was going to work for, uh, his name is Parker Myers, my first boss. Um, I thought that, you know, he was a great person and that I could learn a lot from him. And boy, was I right. Uh, um, he is, you know, probably to this date, one of the best managers I've ever had. Um, I learned so much from him. And so it was really in choosing him and wanting to work with him that I sort of ended up being in insurance. Um, and I, and then I liked insurance. Uh, you know, it's a very, Again, I think it goes back a little bit to my, I like the intellectual and analytical aspects of economics. And I found those very similar things in insurance as well. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it's something that uh, I enjoyed as a intellectual topic. Um, and I really enjoyed that first team that I worked. What led you to business school and, um, and many people you met there? Yes. Um, so I think, you know, again, growing up, constantly moving around, leaving my home country and coming to the U.S. And um, 
I think maybe I, I've always had a little bit of this like restless and looking for that next adventure and what am I going to do next? Um, and so after four years working at, at the insurance company, I started thinking about, you know, is this what, where I want to stay or, you know, do I want to explore other industries, other types of professional venues? Um, and that's when I sort of started exploring and saying, well, what could I do? Um, and I learned about, you know, the MBA program and that sounded really appealing to me. And I applied, I was fortunate enough to get into uh, a great school like Gordon. Um, and so that's what led me to, to the business school. It was really uh, a desire to explore and, and learn what else was out there instead of sort of being content with the, the job that I had. And is that generally what you would advise for someone who's, you know, at that stage in their career, like business school being a good option for exploring and understanding more about, um, you know, career choices or if somebody is happy in a area? I think area. so. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear like whether with you, do you agree with that or not? But to me, yes, I think that was one of the biggest things that I got out of business school was just, you know, it opened my eyes to just, you know, this world of uh, professional, you know, jobs and, and opportunities that I didn't even know existed. Before I came to business school, I didn't even know what venture capital was or what private equity was, you know. Um, I didn't know engineers could actually work in business, you know. I thought engineers just <laughs> built things. And then I came to business school, I was like, half my class was engineers. Um, so yes, I think business school, definitely anybody looking to really explore and understand, um, you know, what the wide world of uh, professional jobs that are available, professional paths that are available to a young person, I think an MBA is a fantastic way to do that. So you made some pretty big decisions in business schools. Uh, you you met Brian. I did. I like to say that, yes, I am one of the people that uh, got not only my MBA, but also my MRS. <laughs> 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 yes, I met my husband, my now husband there. And, uh, and thereafter, there was a, you know, you and Brian have lived in so many different places. And one of the things I wanted to get a little bit into because, uh, you know, many of our members at ARTA are very similar to you probably earlier in their careers, but they're two career families. And how do you balance between two careers, two locations, uh, both globally mobile? And I know in your life, like uh, you and Brian have lived in four five cities in the last, last 10, 15 years. So how did you both end up making these decisions and balancing between life and career and location. I mean, you took it to a next level by moving countries on a regular basis, but what's your, what were the, what are the ways in which you thought through this? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that there's really any simple answer to this. It really depends a lot on, you know, family to family, but I think the one thing that really helped Brian and I, we were both sort of grounded in the fact and had an explicit agreement that we were going to live life on our terms and we were going to do the things that we wanted to do that we thought would be best for our family and that, you know, 
helped us maximize life. We joke sometimes amongst ourselves that we are life maximizers. Uh, that's how we refer to each other. Um, so now it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean was that like the best things for our individual careers? Probably not. Uh, was it the best thing for, you know, uh, buying a home early in one place and growing lots of home equity? Probably not because we moved around so much, but we sort of, we agreed that our core value, right? When it comes to that was maximize life, you know, maximize as much as we can get out of this one life that we're going to, you know, spend together. Um, so that really guided a lot of our, our decision-making. And so what that meant was, you know, you know, sometimes somebody was leaving a job that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have left. You know, sometimes maybe one of us was taking a job that, you know, wasn't like the best thing that we we wanted at that time. But, you know, because we wanted to move somewhere and live in that place, you know, we weren't going to go and we were going to make it work. Um, but, you know, definitely not easy, uh, constant conversation, lots of dialogue, lots of sort of checking in to make sure that, you know, did we both still believe in that fundamental tenet of we were going to be life maximizers? So let's talk a little bit more about life maximizing. I just want to understand, like, how do you define that? Like, what are the dimensions? How do you know you are succeeding? How do you measure it? Sorry, I'm an engineer. And, you know, so you know, I was just going to say, Caesar, you want to measure everything. <laughs> no, but I know you also measure everything. So, you know, I have a little bit of insight into this. So, so how do you think about define, how do you define life maximizing first? And then how do you, how do you go about measuring it? Yeah. So I think we know for us, we said like, in like both of us, what are the things that we love, right? Like, so, you know, we, we both love sports. We both love traveling, uh, Brian's very creative and he does pottery and has a real interest in like, you know, fashion and creative things. You know, I'm a little bit more of an intellectual and I love learning about, you know, analytical things, historical things. Uh, we love, you know, new and different foods and cultures, um, you know, different, different professions. Like it's always, very interesting for us when we learn about, you know, if, if we ever met an architect, we'd be like, oh, what do you do? And tell us all about it. And so, you know, we were like, here's certain dimensions that collectively make us happy, but then some individually make us happy. And so how can we craft a life that if we were to draw a spider chart, you know, we were on sort of, you know, the furthest on that spider chart on those dimensions as much as possible. Um, and so since you're forcing me to define it, I think that's how, that's how, and I, if I remember correctly, we actually did draw a spider chart at one point. Do you remember what the dimensions were on that spider chart? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, the, the, the dimensions were adventure, uh, career, family, fun, um, sports, culture, uh, learning. I think those were some of, I'm, I'm maybe missing a couple, but those were some of the dimensions. And we said, okay, you know, you could draw a chart where we were super, super high on one dimension, 
but you are really giving up on a lot of other things. And so the implicit sort of conversation or the implicit contract that we had was, how do we maximize on as many of these as possible? That's fascinating. Uh, one of the things you didn't uh, bring up in that, so I just want to see if that was implicit or you explicitly decided to take it out, was sort of finances in life and money. And, you know, it's not so much about just having more money, but money often accomplish, enables you to maximize various dimensions on that spider chart. So how did you guys think about that and how did that factor into your decisions? Yeah, that's thanks for bringing that up. I definitely omitted that. Um, you know, money... This is how I see it. I mean, money is, number one, it's very easy to over-focus on money. Uh, I think because it's easily measurable. The analogy I always like to use is like weight and wellness. Wellness is a lot more than just your body weight, right? But people tend to sort of hyper-focus on their weight. Well, because it's very easy to get on a scale every morning and see, you know, how much you weigh. Uh, but wellness has a lot more dimensions. And so to me, similarly, I think life fulfillment or, you know, happiness or, or contentment, joy, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of dimensions to that. But it's easy. And I think we live in a society where it's easy to sort of hyper focus on money and use that as the measurement for fulfillment in life. So that's one. And I think we always have to constantly watch out for that over-focus on it. But, you know, money is definitely an enabler, right? It's an enabler. It it helps you to live the type of life that you want to do. That's what money has done for Brian and I. It has allowed us to live this, you know, full life that we've lived, having multiple careers and, and sometimes leaving careers and going into entrepreneurship, living in multiple countries, having a, you know, Bigish family, which is what we always wanted. Um, but then money also has diminishing marginal returns. Um, and so, you know, it's easy to forget that sometimes. And, and, and I won't say I'm more guilty of that than, than Brian. And I think he's over time really helped me find that balance between money providing you a sense of security, but then also money giving you joy you know, allowing you to live the life that you want to live. So let's get a little bit into how you and Brian have thought about how to get to that level of psychological safety with money. Like, how did you, like, how have you thought about your finances? What are the steps you took over your life to try to try to get to that level where you feel like it's enabled you to live your life to the fullest, be the life maximizers? Maximizers. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Typical, you know, two MBAs. Uh, we got married in 2008 and we decided to build a spreadsheet. Uh, and we also gave it a name. It's called the Trackinator. Um, and we have kept it up. This is a practice that we sort of built into our marriage and into our life. Um, and, you know, initially it was very meager and very, very simple spreadsheet of, you know, what were our assets and our net worth. And we tracked our budget a little bit. Um, but I think it's just that practice of setting goals. So we would set goals for us annually. Um, so there's kind of life goals, but then we would have very specific financial goals tied to those life goals. Um, and then the, fin the financial goals would go into this trackinator. Uh, and then, you know, every quarter we would track and see how we're doing. Do we, you know, are we tracking? Are we behind on anything? 
Um, and then, you know, we would repeat. Um, there were a few times where we actually sort of made this like, let's go away, let's travel to Sri Lanka and we'll work on the Trachinator together while we're there and we'll set our goals. Um, and, you know, if I look back now, I think it was that, that kind of consistent habit of putting things down, verbalizing our goals, articulating them, putting them down and then holding each other accountable, um, you know, without being getting too crazy about it, um, you know, to see how we were tracking against those goals and making the changes needed to meet the goals. Um, I think that's, that's literally what I would say um, is what enabled us to get to uh, a sense of psychological safety, as you say, around money and be in a position to then start saying, okay, you know, now we can start really using money as an enabler for joy and life maximization. So now I want to like put you on the spot a little bit. And can you, are you comfortable sharing some of these goals like at various points in time? Like what were the, or even without numbers, like what were the types of goals? Were they like, we need to save X amount this year or we need to have invested Y amount or, you know, maybe diversified into these things. Like how did you sort of define that? Yeah, uh, it started, I think, very simply with agreeing to a certain amount of savings that we were going to do every year. Um, so initially, you know, we had business school debt, college debt. So, right. So initially it was all about we're going to save and we're going to get out of the debt. Right. Very, very simple. And then I think beyond that, you know, once we sort of felt like, OK, now we actually have discretionary savings um, that we can think about investing then we started looking at, um, you know, we would say, okay, we're going to invest X amount um, in the market every year. Um, and then we would, you know, we would set a goal of like, what are some results that we think we want to achieve? And so then based on that, we would look to change our allocations or different assets that we were investing in if we felt like we weren't going to, you know, hit our goal. Um over time, we started building in more goals around like diversification, you know, some amount in like, you know, conservative income producing assets. So that's when we decided to go into like real estate. So we have some passive income coming in. Um, yeah, so it, it it's sort of a, you know, it builds the goal sort of evolved and changed over time as our lives evolved. Um, but the one consistent thing that we have tracked right from the beginning has always been, uh, our net worth, right? So we would always, and as you can imagine in the early days, it was negative, uh, right? So then a very simple goal was let's make this positive. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then we would say, okay, you know, what do we want this to look like? Keeping in mind that we're moving to Hong Kong, that we're going to have another child, that maybe one of us isn't going to work for six months because we're taking a sabbatical. So keeping the life goals in mind, we would generally set a goal for how we would we wanted to see our net worth. Uh, because that was a discipline that forced us to keep our our debt and our spending in check as well. Oh, it's fascinating. It's almost, you know, the, the words you're using is kind of like the way somebody who's running a, 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 like an investment firm would think about it. 
right? They look at this value of the firm. They look at like how each investment is doing. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very sophisticated and, you know, I would say uh, incredibly informative and educational for me to learn about how you thought about it in that structured manner. Yeah. I mean, if you looked at the spreadsheets, you might not say that it's very sophisticated. There was a thought, the thinking that goes into it, you know, often, often like it's not the spreadsheet, it's the conversation that happens around the spreadsheet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the conversation. And I would say the consistent discipline, um, you know, I, I'll go back to kind of the wellness analogy, right? It's like, there's no secret. There's no like, you know, everybody knows you eat well and you go to the gym, you exercise, you sleep well, right? But it's the the magic happens in doing those things consistently over a long period of time. And I think with finances, it's very simple. Uh, yes, you can get lucky. Yes, you can, you know, uh, hit it big with, let's say, a, a particular stock or a particular venture, but I think, and, and you know, we've seen this with many of our, our business school classmates, right? It's been about this consistently doing the small things over a long period of time. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's such good financial advice. You know, just doing the same, the steady, consistent way of thinking about your finances. I think um, if people start doing that earlier, I wish I had started that earlier, way earlier in my life, like just consistently planning and thinking. Uh, and, you know, hopefully what we're building at Arta is going to make it easy for many more people to do that without having to spend, you know, enormous amounts of time. So switching to this, it, can you think of like, what's the best financial advice that someone gave you? I mean, this is phenomenal advice that you've given to others. What was the best advice given to you? I think the best advice, which is, you know, very, very basic, but my parents kind of instilled in me very early on was, Always live below your means. Uh, and now, you know, when I when I say this, sometimes, you know, I I am reminded by by others of like, isn't that in contradiction to your life maximization? Um, and I say, no, absolutely not. It's you know, I still try to maximize my life, but it has always been within the bounds of living below my means. Uh, so yeah. Very basic advice, but I think, you know, growing up in India, in a middle, middle class home, um, you know, that was that was instilled in me from a very early age. And, and I'm very thankful of, of that. Sam, this has been absolutely fascinating. I've learned so much. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate it sharing, you know, just little bits of my life journey. You and I have been friends for so long, but I feel like... You know, some of sometimes we never just stop and take stock of of our life and our life journey. So thank you for allowing me to do that and share that with you. Thank you so much. And at the at the risk of being completely dorky, live long and prosper. <laughs>